It's The World This Week. The World This Week in partnership with The Daily Beast with us, Craig Kapitas, contributing editor to The Daily Beast. How are you? Wondering if you rented the studio from a chihuahua. Oh, well, we, we, we're, it's, it's summer renovation time. We'll be back to our usual digs uh, come September. I hope so. All right. And we'll see if uh, it's up to standard for Richard Verli, correspondent and columnist for Swiss news site Blick. How are you? Yes, fine. And Not I too cramped? Confirm the studio is okay as far as you are here, Francois. All right. <laughs> Flatter will get you everywhere. Sarah Daniel, senior correspondent uh, for News Weekly magazine LUPS. How are things? Good. Thank you. Good. Okay. And uh, uh, from the vast expanses of Riga in Latvia, Lily Yaparova, a journalist uh, for uh, the Russian investigative news outlet Medusa. Thanks for being with us. Hi. It's a pleasure. The, uh, if you, by the way, if you can't watch us, you can listen, like, and subscribe on, uh, to The World This Week on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other fine streaming services. It's the following Friday. We're still asking, what just happened? Yevgeny Prigozhin uh, cheered as he suddenly lifted his occupation of Rostov-on-Don last Saturday night in the southwestern Russia, aborted his Wagner Group's March on Moscow, a challenge unseen by the Kremlin since the failed 1991 coup attempt against Mikhail Gorbachev. Back then, state television played the ballet Swan Lake. Uh, this time, it was, by the way, uh, extensive coverage of Silvio Berlusconi's 10-day-old funeral, which uh, was, I guess, mixed in with a lot of nature documentaries. The fact that the programming went a little bit off Craig Capitas was a sign that uh, this was definitely off script, what was going on. It was off script for us. I don't think it was all that off script for anyone else. Look, this, this what do you want to call it? A coup d'etat, a mutiny, a protest... Uh, it proved two things and two things only. Everything else is speculation, in my opinion. Number one, we now know for certain that there are elements within the Russian military who do not like Vladimir Putin or his regime. We're certain of that now. As we were certain before, but not told, that Wagner Group was indeed part of the Russian military being, play, being paid by Russia. And everyone goes, oh, shock. Well, we knew that over years ago. The second most important takeaway of this is that the future of Russia, the fate of Putin, is not going to be decided uh, by this exultation, this orgy of Kremlinologists and Putinologists arguing what's going to happen next. It's going to be decided on the battlefields of Ukraine. Mm. That, that's what we know right now. Everything else? speculation. I want to get back to the situation in Ukraine. Sarah Daniel, the cover story in your magazine, that the headline reads, cracks in the system. Uh, and, and Vladimir Putin, who's fancied himself a strong man, doesn't appear as strong after this, uh, what happened last Saturday. Well, I don't know if I can talk now because it would be speculation. I'm a little bit shy now, <laughs> but still I will tempt uh, something. Uh, yes, uh, w well, it was, I, I guessed, I guess w w we all knew there were tensions between, uh, of course, Prigozhin and Shoigu and inside the uh, uh, Russian army. Uh, uh, we weren't we sure, though. We thought 
maybe some of this oh, yeah, is theater. Sure. Because Prigogine is so, you know, uh, is so vulgar but outspoken also, like a, a, a real, uh, 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 you know, he speaks a lot. So we, we knew that there were a lot of tension, especially after Bakhmut, where he had lost so many men. And uh, he was blaming, of course, uh, Shoigu and uh, uh, this feud has been going on for a long time. So we knew absolutely that something was on. But that was, you know, really blatant uh, suddenly. And, and, and of course, uh, Prigogine uh, went all the way. And then he realized that all the uh, soldiers and generals who gave him some, uh, some signs that they will go along with him, uh, then uh, th they're not going to do so. And it's, he stopped. But I think he was tempted to go all along. All right, we're going to, we're going to put that in, uh, to Lilia Yaparova. W one thing that struck a lot of people was there was that uh, initial address by Vladimir Putin on the Saturday morning. Um, he then appeared to go to ground. He reappears in public outside the Kremlin walls on Wednesday with an unlikely meet and greet in Derbent, Dagestan. That's on the Caspian uh, Sea. We can perhaps uh, show some of those images there. Vladimir Putin's not usually a, a man who shakes hands with people in the crowd. Uh, uh, the, the host of our Eye on Russia segment, Lilia, says she doesn't remember in the 10 years she was a Moscow correspondent, him seeing him ever do that. What, what are your thoughts on Vladimir Putin's movements this past week? Well, I believe that all his uh, Vladimir Putin's recent activity is due to the fact that he realized that there are really forces inside Russia who are ready to dethrone him. And it's not just precaution. Uh, sources in Russia, uh, among Siloviki community, uh, tell, they tell me that uh, it's not just precaution, it's also some guys from the GRU. And there are rumors uh, reported by Bloomberg and the Financial Times uh, and a bunch of Russian media outlets, but still rumors that uh, General Surovikin was detained. And this is the number two of the military. Yeah, uh, he's not the GRU, but if what the sources are telling is true, then it was not just Prigozhin in um, constructing, designing this coup attempt. Uh, it was also a bunch of guys from one of the most important and powerful uh, intelligence services in, in the country. Also, uh, Prigozhin, while he was marching to Moscow, again, the sources tell me it's not proven yet, but again, uh, that he was trying to not just uh, get rid of Sergei Shaigu, the head of Russian Ministry of Defense, he was also trying to um, cleanse some undesirable elements inside the presidential, presidential administration. So inside the Kremlin, there are talks that Sergei Kirienka was... Uh, an advisor to Vladimir Putin was one of the targets. So, yeah, I think uh, we'll, we'll learn a lot more about this coup attempt um, in the future weeks. All right, so there's, there's, there's various uh, versions of, you're calling it a coup attempt, uh, of uh, uh, what exactly happened, why uh, suddenly uh, uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin's men stopped marching. Uh, putting modesty aside, Belarus's president. He told reporters that he warned Prigozhin not to go to Moscow or he'd be, quote, squashed like a bug. Uh, this uh, before uh, uh, Lukashenko described his telephone mediation with his Russian counterpart. That's why I thought, 
we can waste Prigozhin. I said to Putin, we can waste him, it's not a problem. If not on the first try, then on the second. I told President Putin, don't do this, because then there will be no negotiations. These guys know how to stand up for each other. They fought in Africa, Asia, Latin America. They'll do anything. We can waste them too. But thousands, thousands of civilians and those who oppose the Wagnerites will die. Khashav Ali, we can, we can waste him if we wanted to, but I told him not to. <laughs> <laughs> well, the problem is the cost of wasting Prigozhin. Because at the moment, I saw in the news report that he's supposed to be in Belarus alongside 8,000 men. And you can be sure that those men are not in Belarus only to take vacation, but they are there to if protect they're there. him. If they are there, they are probably in Belarus to protect him. So where, where I believe Lukashenko was right, if, if what he says is true, is that he realized that uh, neutralizing, neutralizing or just killing Prigozhin will have a cost. It will have a cost for Putin. It will have a cost for himself, for Lukashenko. It would have a cost for both countries, Russia and Belarus. And he didn't want to take that risk. <laughs> so it shows whatever we know about Prigozhin, and it's very unclear, but Prigozhin carries some weight in the system. He has some weight. He has some forces. And clearly, Belarus president decided not to discard him. President Lukashenko, is he telling the truth there? When he, when he says, again, the quote we just heard, um, these guys know how to stand up for each other re regarding the, the Wagner mercenaries. I wouldn't believe a word that comes out of that guy's mouth. Look, Russia has a long history of, of, of failed rebellions. Stalin purged, Lenin purged, Catherine the Great purged. Peter the Great purged the Streltsy. There's even a, a word for these doomed and senseless purges in Russia in Pugashevshina, uh, which uh, Leela can talk more elegantly than I can on, on the derivation of that, of that term. Uh, uh, this is now a money story, okay? It is a money story. Why? A few hours ago, old Mr. Putin decided that come October... Everyone in the Russian military is going to get a 10.5% pay increase, right? So, and he's also now, according to one of our Daily Beast reporters who works in Africa, uh, sent emissaries to various West African countries to try and get his people, Putin's people, to replace Prigozhin's people Dealing with people, dealing with the local leaders down there to kind of eliminate the Wagner Group or take Wagner Group people and absorb them in. Again, this is the the, the money story is also intensified by the fact that right now, as we're speaking out in Chantilly, at a chateau out there, there is a there's a gathering of Ukrainian and French and other foreign officials, and they're trying to figure out a way how to get money from Russia. To Ukraine, World Bank says it's going to cost $800 billion uh, to, I'm sorry, $400 billion to rebuild Ukraine. <laughs> it's probably going to cost closer to a trillion. So far, the West, according to the World Bank, has seized approximately $200 billion worth of assets. So you're saying Russia's feeling the pinch? Oh, yes, uh, they are feeling the pinch. 
And but but it's not hurting yet. The squeeze isn't on because Putin's people are still doing deals with everyone and their uncle from Turkey to Africa to the United States. The United States is still paying money for certain things regarding uh, 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 nuclear disarmament uh, costs. Uh, there, there's there's the money is going in. The Wall Street Journal two days right, so ago reported. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, but sorry. You were, you were, you were um, asking the question, uh, does uh, Prigogine as, as, uh, as some weight, what, what is going to, to be the cost of uh, his departure, as said Lukashenko? But you have to remember that for some people, he's a hero, and he, he is a representative of the nationalist uh, of Russia, and he has lost a lot of men in Bakhmut. When I interviewed uh, some uh, Russian uh, prisoners, in uh, in Ukraine, they told me that it was Wagner uh, who was leading the calls. They, I mean, they're, they're they're really prominent in this uh, in this battle in in the battlefield of of Ukraine. So of course they have a cost. And if you uh, um, uh, recognize, acknowledge the fact that uh, uh, now uh, the the Minister of Foreign Affairs of Russia has said has reassured the 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 African, saying nothing is going to change as far as the Wagner Group is, is concerned, maybe there will be some change at the top of it, but they will still uh, 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 coordinate all the uh, all, all the efforts in Africa. So I think that's a very important sign that they have a lot of power still uh, in the in in the military uh, in the Russian military. A lot of chancelleries in Africa have gone kind of quiet this week in places like Mali, Central African Republic, because they are wondering, as Craig was saying. Uh, uh, who's their interlocutor? Well, by the way, a big market for Wagner, uh, the present Wagner or the future Wagner, is opening up in Mali because the decision was taken for the UN peacekeeping forces in Mali to withdraw. Precisely. So, if the, the announcement confirmed the just UN a few hours ago. Exactly. So, if MINUSMA withdraw from Mali, there is a huge gap to fill security wise. And that's been a huge market. And maybe that's one of the explanations. Now, but can, can the Wagner Group, which is uh, uh, fill that gap, or can Russia fill that gap since they've been linked, according to a UN report, to the massacre in Mura? The Wagner Mali. Group will never fill any gap comparable to the UN peacekeeping force. But it, will, <laughs> it, it may go there in higher number. In bigger number to protect the government. That's what I mean. Because the government will have more room of maneuver to call in more Wagner. It doesn't, it doesn't mean it will work in Mali, but I'm just saying there is an opportunity. Now, coming back to Belarus, we tend here, and it's probably true, to see Lukashenko as a rather stupid uh, authoritarian, autocratic ruler. In this case, he may not have been acting stupidly by offering Prigozhin a retreat, by being the middleman between Putin and Prigozhin, he gained some power, he gained some influence, and at the end, it might be a smart move from him. Sarah, Daniel, you wrote he's, about he's, he's not, about he's not at all. Uh, I agree with you. He's not at all stupid. Exactly. I mean, he is the last dictator of Europe. Exactly. He's a killer. He knows how to survive. He's a killer, but he's so smart. Exactly. And he's been doing so for for the last fortnight, like like, and and also for the last decade, uh, playing the Russians again against the uh, you know the Westerners and and so on. He's, I think he's, he's a very wise politician. All right, the, 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 the master of the Kremlin on this whole issue about Wagner and, and what happens to it, um, who so often has denied any links uh, to Yevgeny Prigozhin's group, on Tuesday 
Владимир Путин cleared the air. Содержание всей группы Вагнер. The government has fully funded the Wagner Group, the Defense Ministry. The budget has fully funded this group. Are we getting it wrong, Lilia Yaparova, uh, when it comes to uh, uh, what's the future of Wagner in Africa? Because at the end of the day, is Vladimir Putin right? Uh, this is all Russian government assets that were just uh, disguised with a bit of plausible deniability. I believe that the Wagner mercenaries um, are to stay in Africa. But I think there is still a struggle, a struggle going on between Yevgeny Prigozhin and the Kremlin as to uh, who will be in charge. I mean, we saw Sergei Lavrov and his deputies, uh, they recently made a tour and talked to all the African partners and uh, assured them that, yeah, all the contracts, all the stuff that's been going between you and the Wagner Group, uh, yeah, it's staying in place, please don't worry. But, um, yeah, uh, Prigozhin now probably, is, at least as my mercenary sources and some sources close to the management of the Wagner Group, close to Yevgeny Prigozhin himself, as the sources tell me, he wants to stay in Belarus. He wants to build a base there. And we already heard Lukashenko uh, agreeing to these terms. You think it's going to happen, that base? I believe that it's possible, at least. I Well, I'm, I'm just a journalist. I don't know. I know nothing. But my sources tell me that they're pretty sure that uh, Prigozhin will create, try to create a base in Belarus. We saw his jet uh, making these crazy trips from Minsk to St. Petersburg. We uh, Today, just today, it was for the first time reported that uh, Russian uh, military aircraft made a trip from uh, um, Moscow to, I think, uh, somewhere in Africa, and then to Minsk. So I think it's, of course, mm-hmm. and it might be uh, an additional detail that proves that Prigozhin uh, will try to uh, fly Lukashenko, Lukashenko's military cargo planes to Africa and create a new base, and just, it will be all the same for him, just he will be operating not from Moscow or St. Petersburg, but from Minsk. That clip we heard, by the way, of uh, Vladimir Putin came 72 hours after a raid that took place Saturday while his men were marching on Moscow on Prigozhin's St. Petersburg offices. There was also a raid on a nearby hotel where authorities just happened to stumble upon a minivan full of cash, gold bullion, and an unspecified white powder. Russia's president uh, at promising Tuesday to scrutinize a deal to have Prigozhin's Concord Group provide food for the military. The state provided full allowance, but part of this group, Concord, earned 80 billion rubles at the same time. I hope that while doing so, they didn't steal anything or didn't steal that much. But we will undoubtedly sort it all out. Craig Capitas, a bit of uh, a bookkeeping scrutiny here. Well, you know, I, I would take everything that you hear from uh, Putin and Lushenko and all these theories that mostly come from social media uh, with a very large pinch of Novichok. Uh, the, 
the Ru historically Russian leaders have never had any hesitation to assassinate and destroy uh, the, uh, the what are known as quartermasters, people who support right, the but, government. But just hold on. The words you're hearing there from Vladimir Putin, they seem to contradict uh, any idea that uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin would be allowed to have an afterlife in places you like think. Belarus. And this you think. Yeah, I think they said the same thing to Trotsky. You know, you want me? To, I can go down the historical list, right. but so, I know you so, get upset when so you, I start So he has no future in Belarus, is what you're saying? Yeah, no. Prigozhin's a dead man. He's a he's a dead man walking. There's no I, I, there's no question about that. I'll go out on a limb and say that he's a. Dead all of man. them are dead. Women. Yeah, all of exactly. <laughs> all of them are dead man walking. You know, um, you can't trust anyone there. It's a, it's a it's a as I said in one story. You know, it's a, it's it's a mischief of rats. That's what these people are. They're all, you know, trying to figure this out. You know, as Chip Bolin, the former ambassador to Moscow, Russia, a long time ago, said, trying to figure Russia out is like watching guys wrestling in a black sack and trying to figure out who's winning. That's what we're looking at here. So, Lilia Yeparova, um, the fears that have been expressed in Baltic states, like the one you're sitting in right now, uh, uh, about uh, Belarus getting more involved in the fighting I in Ukraine, are they justified? I think there is a possibility. We've seen uh, in February of 22, uh, Russian army crossing the Belarus border and um, then encircling Chernihiv and um, killing people there and uh, torturing people there. Yeah, we saw that already. But we should also uh, remember that if we're talking about Yevgeny Prigozhin continuing uh, his business activities in Africa uh, from Minsk, then uh, we should remember that every plane that uh, takes uh, off uh, from Minsk and goes to Africa, it goes through uh, above Russia. So Russia will keep its grip, keep total control uh, at least over uh, where um, Belarusian uh, cargo planes uh, carrying uh, Wagner mercenaries will fly. So I think, um, yeah, probably Putin lost uh, this battle when he, back in 2014, assigned uh, a simple businessman from St. Petersburg, his own private army. He made Prigozhin a Tsar uh instantly and then he lost control over uh, all his affairs and uh, yeah that's uh that's what makes the situation totally unpredictable and i i really i wouldn't guess um i wouldn't guess what will happen in in the in the nearest weeks not even months all right well infighting in moscow in no way stopping russia from lobbing missiles at urban centers in ukraine Twin 14-year-old daughters among those killed in Tuesday's strike on a popular restaurant in the frontline city of Kramatorsk, the latest death toll uh, from uh, that missile strike. 12 killed, 65 wounded. France 24's Catalina Gomez was inside doing an interview at the time. De la tarde, cuando un misil cayó exactamente, como pueden ver, en el restaurante estaba absolutamente lleno y lo que estamos viendo en este momento son escenas de terror. Eh, hemos visto heridos salir, algunos muy graves. Aquí los que nos encontrábamos realmente 
es, es decirlo, estamos de cierta manera vivos de, de milagro. And Sarah Daniel, uh, Kramatorsk has been a target before. We remember that train uh, station strike a few months back. Yeah, it's the same, you know, path of terror and uh, really terrorizing people. And it's going to go, I think, more and more as, as uh, Putin is losing his grip on his inner power. And it, it, it was a way to divert uh, also uh, the, 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 the situation uh, from... Uh, from being the center of attention uh, of uh, the world, and you know, so so we're going to uh, to uh, to see more and more of this. But uh, I, I just want to go back very quickly sure. about Prigozhin and and the way uh, the, the Russians are going to deal with him. I think that's what Lavrov said that he, he, Wagner will still have uh, his grip. On, uh, on Africa and also because Russia needs the, the expertise of Wagner. So they will try to nationalize it, not to, to uh, of course, Prigozhin himself will be punished, but the group in itself, which, which also is, you know, they, they are monitoring. Uh, it's a moneymaker. Yeah, it's a moneymaker, and, and, they, and they have a lot of power and, and this expertise in, in Africa. And so uh, they will. So, so that's for that's as far uh, Russia and Putin is concerned. As far as Luka, Lukashenko, he will try to use Prigozhin maybe in his in his food against Russia. So we don't. It's very hard to. Uh, for see what's really going to happen to him. All right. Uh, officials in the Ukrainian capital uh, this week have been saying they're trying to crowd out the noise, not pay too much attention to uh, what they're hearing uh, uh, about what's going on in, in Moscow, uh, instead saying that they're focusing on that counteroffensive. They say they're making incremental gains, but that it's hard going, particularly as uh, Russia has had time to mine the terrain. When you look at that map, Richard Verli, what are your thoughts as uh, June becomes July? Well, I was there 10 days ago. I was in Kramatorsk. I was in Zaporizhia. Uh, I was on the way to Bakhmut. And what striked me at that uh, moment is uh, the fatigue among Ukrainian mm. soldiers. It does not mean that the motivation was not there. They are still very motivated. They are fighting hard, especially since they are receiving new materials from NATO. But the fatigue is there, a real fatigue. And Kramatorsk is an interesting city. Sarah knows it too. Uh, Kramatorsk is the place where wives and girlfriends coming from Kiev and from the rest of Ukraine come to meet their husbands and boyfriend who are resting from the front line. So it's a very sensible city in the, in the war effort of Ukraine. This is where the family gather together. You can see children and, and wives and families together. So striking Kramatorsk for Putin and for the Russian forces, to me, is very symbolic. The big question is, at the moment, because the anti-missile defense is working elsewhere in the country, in Kiev, people are no more going down the metro station even when there is the sirens going on because they feel protected how Zelensky will be able to keep the country together if the counteroffensive is not winning enough ground he needs success on the battlefield and by the way what happened with Prigozhin with Wagner and this feeling we have that there is some kind of fracture in the Russian power is good news for Ukraine it does not mean that the Ukrainian government and army will be able to exploit it but 
it's quite it's kind of a good news. All right, something that uh, Chris Craig Capiz has been uh, talking about often, which is ramping up the war effort a lot. European leaders worrying that the situation in the short term is more volatile, thus more dangerous with a weakened uh, Putin, nowhere more so than in places like Poland and the Baltics. In Lithuania, Germany's defense minister this week announcing that several hundred troops currently stationed there will become a 4,000-strong permanent base. We as the Federal Republic of Germany expressly acknowledge our responsibility and obligation as a NATO member country, as the largest economy in Europe, to protect the eastern flank. That is why I once again in all clarity say that Germany is ready to deploy a robust brigade in Lithuania on a permanent basis. The French have bases uh, all around the world. For Germany to be having a permanent base outside of its own territory it hasn't been seen since uh, since World War II. Really. Whoop-de-doo. What does that have to do with the war in Ukraine? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. The question, and, and Richard angled towards this, one, Putin is still very much in power in Russia. Make no mistake about that. Is he weakened? Yeah, but he's still very much in power. Number two, can Ukraine keep sustaining the war without NATO air cover? This is what you hear from everyone in the field. You hear from the military experts. And if you think, or if the West thinks that putting a bunch of troops in Lithuania is going to intimidate Vladimir Putin... They're whistling past the graveyard. Lilia Yaparova, your thoughts on that, especially heading into that NATO summit that's taking place in less than two weeks. I have to say that uh, I tried contacting um, different Russian formations uh, now gathered at the front line and different different mercenaries the day of the coup last weekend and uh, they all stayed in their places nothing trembled it was quite a surprise actually but uh, still uh, uh, the Wagnerites who are signing the contracts the Wagnerites who are still considered just to be mercenaries they are there on the front line they're staying they're fighting so, uh, in my opinion, it was it was quite sad that uh, Ukraine, uh, during its counteroffensive, missed this window window of opportunity to just uh, surprise the Kremlin, not, not just um, um, to surprise the Kremlin from the outside, while it was already surprised by precaution sections inside the country. All right, a, a missed opportunity. Ukrainians saying, of course, that. The problem for them is they are advancing in mined territory. They're to facing those kamikaze drones, and it's not. Uh, there's no silver bullet in that war in Ukraine. Let's talk about the situation here in France, a country in shock after first a viral video shows an officer shooting and killing a 17-year-old in the western suburb of Nanterre who tried to flee a police check, and then. Well, scenes reminiscent of the three weeks of rioting back in 2005. Nightly clashes have engulfed the country's working-class suburbs. There's no state of emergency yet, 
but uh, bus service stopped as of 9 p.m. in the suburbs. Uh, and uh, the same president, Emmanuel Macron, earlier in the week called the killing of Nael inexplicable and inexcusable, now turning his side on the violence. We're witnessing the unacceptable exploitation of the death of a teenager, which we all deplore at a time when we should be paying our respects. And so, in light of this, I condemn in the strongest possible terms all those who are using this situation and this moment to try and stir chaos and attack our institutions. They bear an overwhelming responsibility. Sarah Daniel, are we, is this just a repeat of 2005? No, but I have to say that the clumsiness of uh, Emmanuel Macron in this case is really appalling. Uh, that, that's a, a politician now, and now all the politicians should, should be able to appease uh, this, this tension. And th that's the opposite they're doing from all over the political spectrum. I mean, you have the far right. It's just ramping course. up policing in this case. Yeah, you, you have the far right that calls to, uh, you know, a civil war. And then uh, uh, you have uh, LFE who, uh, who, who the, is the fighting. Left. Yeah, the far left who is fighting, you know, for uh, a rise. And, and so, so it's, it's totally uh, uh, that that's what's inexplicable, that, that, that you don't have a, 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 a power that, that tries to uh, settle down and calm the, this whole situation. This is, this is very serious. And it's, it's all over the place. Uh, it's, it's also in the center of Paris, like yesterday, uh, in, the, in the 15 arrondissements, uh, you, you had lootings and you had and, and all the, 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 the shouting and the, it's not at all about, we're not at all about the, this, uh, this uh, adolescent death. Uh, it was uh, all about, you know, the hate of the state, the hate of... Uh, so l the, we need now a strong political uh, uh, stance that, that, that really calms this, this thing down. Uh, Richard Verli, listening to Emmanuel Macron, do you agree he chose the wrong words there? No, I would not really agree. Um, I think Emmanuel Macron, uh, first of all, is under the pressure from the police force and from his own Minister of Interior to act in defense of the security forces. And it's understandable in the present situation. But that's not what he says. But isn't there a bit of, <laughs> well, well, isn't there a bit of denial? No, he's denouncing... No, no. Come on, he's denouncing those who are trying to exploit violence. And he, I believe he has in his, uh, I mean, he, he aims into the direction of some political party like La France Insoumise. So um, he has to say what he says, sorry, is quite true. You've got some political forces in France who, by the way, have a certain political interest in confrontation. And they exploit all type of confrontation. So by saying this, it doesn't mean he concurs, but he looks at the reality as it is. The problem is he has an own responsibility in it. And he, he, he speaks like if he doesn't have a responsibility, but he has one. He has one for what happened before and for the situation that's going on now. Keep in mind that his government, like government before, they have been pleading for reinforcing the police force, employing more policemen, hiring more policemen, lowering the number of months of training, enlarging the possibility to use weapon and so on and so forth. So his direct responsibility is in the line and 
he doesn't acknowledge it. And I think that yeah, may be the I, problem. I was, I was targeting the fact that he says it's not non-explicable. It's okay. non-explicable. Okay. Th then it's a license, you know, okay. it's, it's a license for people to okay. riot and to say, if it's not explicable, then let's go ahead yes. and destroy the, the whole system. Like we saw in November of 2020 when uh, uh, a, uh, a music producer who's black was uh, roughed up uh, by, by police and then uh, closed circuit TV footage uh, proved the police uh, falsely said that he attacked them. Particularly shocking was there was this initial claim this time by the police that uh, Niall had tried to ram them. That's before this video emerged, plainly debunking that account. Uh, the 38-year-old officer has been charged with voluntary homicide, uh, something of a rarity in France for a police officer to face criminal charges. Hmm. On the basis of the information gathered so far in the investigation, the public prosecutor considers that the use of the firearm was not legally justified. Consequently, after leaving police custody, the officer accused of using his weapon was today brought before two magistrates as part of a judicial investigation into the charge of intentional homicide. In view of the facts and the need to preserve the investigation, the public prosecutor's office has requested that the police officer who fired the shot be placed in provisional detention. Now, policemen's unions uh, have, their version is, this is one bad apple, and that this is one isolated incident, and we should let justice run its course. Uh, kids in the banlieue say, we're sick of being roughed up, and also of never being believed by the cops. I've covered this country for 33 years, and although every nation has its systemic rot, uh, the systemic rot I've seen here is that the French people, and especially the French government, find any discussion of state-sponsored racism to be taboo. Every comment you've made prior, just a few moments ago, there is I've no state racism. I can't let you say that. There is no state racism in France. Not at all. Okay. It's, it's, I mean, come on. It's, 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 it, that's such a nonsense. I didn't say state racism. I said state-sponsored racism that starts with the education system. There have been a number of books written on this by Peter Gumbel. Yeah, that's so American to say that. I so, I'm sorry. Well, but, well but, like I... No, but, the, like, but we no, have, well, we, you know, we have like people said, in the you know, are telling our reporters... National. And I and I appreciate I appreciate your point and viva la France I am a patriot, but but the fact is, is that racism comes in many shapes, styles, colors, and aromas, and in the 33 years I have had the privilege of living here and being part of France, and my family is French. I have seen most French people shying away from their original sin, if you will, here. And it starts with the education. Now, I understand the need for policing, and that's fine. If, if you would say so, say so about America, I would, which has spent no, a, lot, a lot of time no, no, there. No, what about is This, I this said, is very rooted in, in no, the American I, no, mind. No, no, but in France, you well, cannot say that. You we are you, the less racist country that there is. Right. You go in, you in, go the, in the working class, in the working class banlieues. Uh, what people have been telling us the last 72 hours when they've – because oftentimes they haven't wanted to speak to journalists the last 72 hours. Um, they have said, nobody believes us. 
And they also say we get singled out if we're blacks or Arabs by the cops. No, but you are, you have a wrong system. I agree. And then who who are who is dealing really in in between uh, all this feud? It's the cops. And and those poor cops. I mean, they, they've they've been go. They went through gilets jaunes and the COVID and the and and now they're, they're exhausted. And also, of course, a lot of of them are uh, from uh, going and 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 on, on the far right. And and this is this has to be addressed. But still, you 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 have to uh, understand both point of view. Of course, some some young people are targeted because they are Arabs and they are blacks. And this this we have to deal with that. But you, you're not going to tell me in in the 15. We talked a lot of uh, to a lot of people yesterday, and a lot of people who were from very poor neighborhoods from the you know les cités, and and they were they were you know they were the first who were dealing with these problems of violence, and uh, and and they, they they were not talking about racism. They were talking about those looters who have no respect whatsoever for them. Well, I spent my night yesterday in between Nanterre and Montreuil, so west to east of Paris. And when I arrived in Montreuil, which is a, a city with a communist mayor, um, what I saw in front of the city hall is scene of chaos real chaos that I would not have expected. And what I saw are young men, I would not label them as kids, who were stealing, breaking cafes, breaking shops openly while the police was watching, probably with orders not to intervene. Why I am describing that? Because we are into a point now where a number of young people in the vicinity of Paris believe they can have a free ride. They can Motivation might be, I, I don't discuss them. They believe they can have yeah. a free ride because after the, the death of this young kid at the, after the gunshot of the policeman, it's very clear that policeman will not intervene or will have a lot of difficulty to intervene. And what I am afraid of is that this free ride might be very violent and might be kind of increasing in the coming days. And that's the problem. There is a vacuum of authority at the moment in Paris and the suburbs. There, I, uh, once during a story, a riot such as this, I asked a rioter at the similar situation that you just described, why are you doing this? And his answer to me was, when you don't have anything and no one listens to you, this is what you do. Now, we white folk might not be able to grasp that sort of... No, I'm not doing that. We, <laughs> yes, might not, we might not be able to grasp that. I'm certain that I can't grasp it fully. But that is... My friend who is living in the 15th, she's a Moroccan, and, she, and she, she, she was totally upset about... She said, in this neighborhood, which is a tough neighborhood, we, have, we had only, uh, you know, a few things. We had a Carrefour, a Carrefour market... Uh, a, a supermarket. A supermarket, uh, some, something for our tobacco, and now we have nothing. They, 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 they looted everything. And the only and it's terrible. And, and the only places they didn't loot was because there were prior arrangements where they say, no, yeah. you, you're okay, you, you have this, you Come on, it's, but no, it's, it's not, not acceptable. Come on, it's you have to understand and chronicle no, and, the we motivation. Don't have to understand that. You, well, I think it's important as journalists, whether we agree with it personally or not, 
that we chronicle the motivation for this. Yeah. And that's why it, I find your report a, from last night interesting because you made an attempt to chronicle that motivation. The big difficulty for Macron to me, when I say Macron, it means the government, I mean the government. They will have to send more police force. They will have to ask the police to intervene again with the risk of another problem. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, the, so for the police, and that's why the police trade unions are so angry, because they are caught in a trap. On the one hand, they want to go to arrest those kids, and they know they can do it. They can clearly face those kids. But there is a degree of risk and responsibility that apparently the government is not yet ready to take. Precisely. And also there was another problem, which I mean, I agree totally with you, but uh, yesterday night uh, in this neighborhood, a lot of people called uh, the equivalent of 911, the, the, you know, the emergency services, the yeah. emergency services, and they were not able, they were not rich. They were swamped. They were swamped. So there was no state, no rescue uh, from all, all during all the night. All right. The political leaders will need to find the right words to uh, to tone this down and to find both short-term and long-term answers to this. So much more to talk about on this. Uh, Sarah Daniel, I want to thank you so much. I want to thank Craig Kapitas, Richard Ferli. I want to thank Lilia Yaparova for being with us from Riga. Thank you for being with us here in the world this week. Your stories inspire the future. Your daily lives create the news. Your cultures, struggles and successes are at the heart of our programs. We tell the stories of those who made our planet and those who are building it. We tell the story of the world, shaped by the lives of those who live there. Liberté, égalité, at